Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 214. And we're coming to you from Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters. And I am joined today by the illustrious writer-producer, Brian Robinson. Hello, John. And the highly competent road test producer, Ben Davis. Well, thank you, sir. And then our extraordinary online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. I thought you were going to go to pretty good there. Extraordinary. <laughs> like you were going down. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're delighted to have all three of you join me because otherwise it would be incredibly boring. We've got a lot of cars to talk about. We're even going to talk about some of our long-term vehicles. A lightning round. We've got a viewer question from Clint. Uh, we're going to see if anybody's got a rant and ray, but let's start. First, with uh, the 2020 Toyota Corolla Hybrid and also the XLE model. Those are two models of the all-new, from-the-ground-up Corolla we've recently tested. It's worth noting that if you're all of a sudden out there yawning, you got to remember that this is the best-selling car of all time. It's an enormously important car to Toyota globally and also to anyone that's interested in small cars, and they still sell a lot of them in this country. So with that said, impressions, everyone, now that it's uh, finally uh, gotten the hybrid treatment in the U.S.? Um, you know, a lot of people like to hate on the uh, Corolla. It's not as much fun to drive as maybe a Civic or certainly a Mazda 3. But it is crazy comfortable, as it has always been. And crazy the big, reliable, too. The uh, big thing this uh, year, as you mentioned, you can get a hybrid now. It's now based on the same platform as the Camry and the Prius. So now you can get the Prius's drivetrain in the Corolla, which I think is a win-win-win mm-hmm. for everyone. Uh, you get the fuel economy of the Prius, but in a car that looks like something you'd want to drive every day. So And, and better, <laughs> if you have hater. to carry a carpool, it's, uh, it's got a better back seat. You've got a real trunk. It's got a lot of advantages, actually. And they, yeah, they upped it in as far as the interior. Uh, I think uh, the interior is a lot nicer than it's ever yeah. been as well. Now, I haven't seen it, but also the XLE model, which um, was there any sporty aspect to that at all? No, that's more of the luxury trim. They do have an XSE, XSE. which gets a new two-liter engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't driven that. I don't think we've had one here. Juicy. Now, I don't know if anybody drove it on the preview or not. I can't remember. But uh. Did you feel that they and the XLE that they had infused it with a little more upscale trendiness? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Materials or what? Feel free to chime in. Anybody else? Yeah. Did you <laughs> like you got it? Corolla lover? <laughs> Did it integrate with your flip phone? Uh, no, that's why I wear uh, earbuds. <laughs> we're all having a good time. <laughs> I, I will tell you that I thought it was the first Corolla I've driven that didn't feel tinny, you know, like it was designed on the cheap. I concur. And I think that's the chassis, the fact that they're now sharing it with, um, with the Camry. Uh, and if, for those of you that aren't aware of what's going on in the world, most car companies are trying to build one chassis that will do everything, it's large, small, intermediate, EVs, gas engines, uh, with different degrees of uh, success so far. But uh, Toyota's done a pretty good job. Yeah. I thought it felt like a very solid car. Yeah, for sure. That hybrid, um, I think we might even still be underselling it. I think that might be the one to have. I think know, so. For, you know, forget about the hatchback or yeah. even the XSE, but 
if you're just trying to get transportation and you don't care about driving too much, that and efficiency, pretty. And yeah, we hit those fifty numbers mm. easily, easily hitting the highway, everything we were doing. And I mean, we're talking actual numbers that said in the fifties, right? And we weren't even trying. Cheap wheels, too, man. It is the latest example of why mid-sized cars aren't selling. First of all, the new Corolla, I think, actually qualifies as a mid-sized yeah, car by the government. That's so they've gotten bigger and encroached on the mid-sized realm, and people are saying, if I'm going to buy a sedan, I can spend less money and go, quote-unquote, compact and still be almost have almost as big a car. Okay. The, um, the hybrid... Uh, was a little more. It wasn't that much more expensive, was it? You couldn't get it with every trim, I think. But um, it was still it was a price single of the LE 20s. trim, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it, and it wasn't sparse by any means. No, it no, had no. the big it was screen, like mid level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. well equipped. Absolutely. Now let's flip over to another small car. Immediately, uh, obviously, in a very different class, the 2019 Mercedes Benz. Excuse me, A class. Uh, the latest effort for Mercedes to sell a small car in America, uh, obviously it does very well in Europe and other countries around the world, but they've never had a lot of success here in this country. Anybody want to comment? Two liter uh, turbo four, which is not unusual, seven speed DCT transmission, formatic available. So all wheel drive, you can get it that way. Um, Brian, Greg? Yeah, um Piggybacking off of what you said there, uh, this is the first time the A-Class is made as a sedan anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've never had an A-Class here. Um, it was a hatchback. Had, we've had the CLA, yeah. which is technically a different vehicle. Yeah. Um, the A-Class hatchback we have as the GLA right. SUV, which also underpins the Infiniti was it Q30? 30. Q30. Yeah. QX30. So anyway, QX30. this is the first time we've had the A-Class sedan or A-Class chassis as a car in the U.S. The first time it's been made available as a sedan anywhere. And uh, I thought it was quite nice Damn. compared to the previous entry-level model CLA, which this is cheaper by about $500. They've had various small cars on the market here before. I remember, what was it, the 190? 190E. 190E. And the response I always got from people that went to look at it is that it looked like they tried to take, I hate to say it, an inexpensive car and stuff it full of Mercedes accoutrements to to charge you ten grand more than you probably should pay. Did this car overcome that? Do you still did you feel like you were in a genuine Mercedes or did you feel like you were in you know something less? I was pretty impressed with it myself. Um, Like the CLA previous was a good step. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt better than entry level. This one feels every bit as good as a C class. I mean, the interior—that's that's that's the comment I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Here in the here in the last few years, I think Mercedes Benz deserves some credit for uh, upping their styling game. They were kind of falling by the wayside a little bit, uh, but these last few models, the A class included, look really nice on the outside. Uh, like you were just talking about, the interior on our test model felt great. I mean, all the technology one. I think it actually debuted the MBUX yeah, system was, yeah, in America. Did. So that works great. Um, it's fun to drive. I think we should also mention the one that we have that will be on our test uh, coming up here. was around fifty grand. It's a lot of money in that category, but according to them, you can get one in the low 30s. 
And uh, important to mention that it's front-wheel drive based, and then uh, 4Matic is available, uh, which sends, I think, like 50% yeah. to the rear wheels at times. And that's so. hugely important for anybody that lives in the Northeast or thinks they're going to need it. Sure. Uh, I thought they did a great job with it. Much better. I think it's their easily their best small car effort today. I think it beats the CLA yeah. big time. Big time. <laughs> big time. Big time. As big time. Now we're going to touch on a couple of vehicles that we get uh, in our long-term fleet. I should explain, for those of you that aren't familiar, we get a variety of vehicles uh, that we keep for longer than the traditional week or two weeks that we have a normal test car at our shop. Some stay for three months, some stay for six, some stay for a full year. And we've got three that we're going to just let anybody at the table who wants to make uh, any comments on. We'll start with probably the most... Um, I say the vehicle that makes the most people jealous that we drive, the new Porsche Macan S. Yep, that's uh, that's a good weekend car. Uh, you know, it's just striking. The, the The package that we got was the Macan S, which has the was it the uh, V6 turbo, yeah, three liter turbo. In yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty quick. Sounds pretty good. We got big old fat tires all around so it's planted all the time i mean you can throw that thing around like a car and it, it just drives like a yeah, porsche big exhaust so, pipes too. Yeah, yeah something i realized today dropping my daughter off at daycare was the back seats are a little bit small i don't spend a lot of time back there but having a rear-facing car seat it fits uh but the passenger might not be super comfortable in the front seat because of it you gotta have a seat all, all the yeah, way forward. The not all the way forward, forward but yeah, I mean, yeah, my wife's tall too, so maybe we're not the best people to test the seat for an average family. But for a compact SUV, I was shocked how much, how large the cargo area is. Yeah, the I back mean, is it's, yeah, it's a lot very generous. Back. And just the fact that you can get that three liter V6 turbo, everything in that segment, right. working with a two liter I4 at most. Yeah. So that it's makes fun to nail the throttle on that thing. <laughs> makes you feel good inside. Yeah. Benny, anything? I haven't driven that one yet. I've been having some lengthy vacations here lately, and relative. Well, you're getting, gonna just have to get your wheel time. I'm gonna take it tonight, and uh, I'll report back next. Stay tuned. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in the Outlander, though. When we get to that one, I'll take the. I'll yeah, take the I think we all now. have a lot of time yeah, to talk about. We'll let's let's touch on let's, let's touch on the Altima. We'll leave the Outlander okay. to last. The Nissan Altima we've had in for several months. Um, I think. It's interesting. We were talking earlier about how cars like the Corolla and even the A-Class are eating into the midsize class, which means if you're going to stay in the midsize class, you've got to step your game up. You've got to get bigger. You've got to add more bells and whistles. The Altima has long been probably third bestseller in the segment, but they did so with more features than the others had at any given price point, and they have a good reliability record. This is a really nice car. Yeah. Comfortable, I mean, like all Nissans yeah. tend to be recently. Uh, we have all-wheel drive, uh, which was again it's the, the first for them. You can't uh, from get that it, car, right? Yeah, you can't get it with the two-liter variable compression turbo, uh, which is the the new engine the for Infinity that car, engine. right? Um, so you're you're with the uh, 2.5 liter i4, but I mean I said it, it's it's plenty of power. Yeah. And then you get the all-wheel drive, which, as we mentioned before, is is comforting for a lot of people, and ourselves included a lot of times. I'm definitely looking forward to wintertime to see how that all-wheel drive system does, just because um, I know somebody who recently bought 
Legacy, and they said they weren't really even a Subaru fan, but they wanted a sedan and they wanted all-wheel drive. Right. And I was like, "What about the Altima?" And he didn't even know. Did he know that, about it? Yeah, that you yeah. offered it all-wheel drive, and I was like, "Well, the Subaru, you know, you're probably better off with the Subaru because their all-wheel drive system is so good." So I haven't really driven the Altima in the snow yet, but I'm really looking forward to checking that out this winter. Yeah, I mean, it's taken a long time for someone in the um, bottom to middle of the price market to really start offering sedans uh, uh, with all-wheel drive to compete with uh, Subaru. And they haven't – so far, they haven't really hurt Subaru at all. So, And I, I will say uh, the tech uh, interface, touchscreen and all, much better than any mm. other Nissan that uh, I've been in prior. It's Agreed. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, now everybody's sort of biting at the bit to talk about our third long-term, the new Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV plug-in hybrid. Uh, long time coming. This is a vehicle that was talked about and shown for three or four years before it actually made it to the United States. Yes, Mitsubishi is still in business. Uh, they basically are very slowly turning themselves around here. But the Outlander PHEV is, a, a, is one of the largest plug-in SUVs that we have tried so far. So with that said, what do you think? Take it away. Will do. I think ours looks great right off the bat when you first see it. It's silver. There's so much chrome all around, and the wheels kind of look like uh, that kind of Hockenheim basket weave off of a Corvette C7. The thing gets a lot of compliments at the pumps. Um, it does get a lot of compliments. It looks and, you know, good. It looks it good, but better know, than when it, it first came right in, it was like, look. you know, this is really kind of an old vehicle. It's been out there in the world for a while, and, you know, yeah, Mitsubishi true. hasn't spent a ton of money updating the interior. But it's, everywhere you go, people say, wow, what is it? It looks great. Everything looks so crazy these days that it's uh, it may look a little older, but it's refreshingly unique yeah. to a lot of people. Anyway, I did a huge road trip with it, um, and... Um, you know, power was awesome all across the board. Hmm. In the town, on the highway, there's just plenty of power whenever you need it. Um, the seating, I've heard some people say it's uncomfortable, but I thought it was comfortable enough for a long haul, and it doesn't, like, lull you into a meditative hmm. state. It keeps you alert. <laughs> In other words, it's got it's plenty. Little, you feel the road a little bit. Well, the cool thing, the rear seats recline really far back, yeah. too, so you can really lounge out back there. Um, my only gripe with the car was uh, if you're not taking advantage of the um, the stored energy, plug-in energy, the tank's kind of small. I think yeah. it's less than 10 gallons, and yeah, I was it only is. It goes quickly. Yeah. It goes quickly. You're stopping quite frequently. I will say if you're in charge mode, which means the engine's just running constantly, right. even uh-huh. if you're not doing anything, um, it gets you back up pretty quickly i mean on a commute on the highway in i mean you can go from zero up to like 10 miles and really not that long i like that you have control over when you're going to use the electric for sure Mm -hmm. the the e-pure ev i we've seen a number of vehicles where that you don't have that these days that's and it's really nice that's also going to be a cool one to try out in the snow because i knew mitsubishi is really um they really have a excellent traction systems and have a good reputation drive much more so Mm -hmm. than people would think that was um yeah, I was happy I had all-wheel drive in it, taken off from a stop on like a gravelly road, and it just hooked right up, which is welcome. Nobody's mentioned the interior or the interface, which initially we thought was kind of a little old and a little small. Doesn't bother me, but, you know, what do you think? You're more savvy electronically than I, I mean, I go right to CarPlay, and it's fine. I mean, everything's yeah. great. And the Rockford audio is incredible. And I like the little quirks that they – the shortcuts that they take inside are even kind of charming a little bit, like 
how the uh, the trim on the door integrates beautifully into the trim on the dash. But on the driver's side, but on the driver's side, you have the same door trim, and then there's nothing there on nothing the driver's the side; dash. just goes into nothing. <laughs> my favorite—it's <laughs> weird, but it's kind of neat. My favorite quirk about uh, Mitsubishi's were. I don't know if it has it on this one, but when you turn it off and the center screen is going dark, uh, it says, no, it just says uh, C-U, S-E-E-Y-O-U, period. Like, no exclamation point or no, like, see ya. Or, it sounds uh, like something you. out of a, a 60s <laughs> so sci-fi. Funny. You got paranoia. I don't know if it's funny or not, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I can freak you out. Who sees me? See you. <laughs> okay, that's our three long terms, the Macan, the Altima, and the Outlander PHEV. Let's turn our attention now to our lightning round. Uh, we sort of claim that we have 30 seconds for each one of our uh, members here to uh, comment on an automotive topic, but really nobody's watching the clock. We do have a bell if someone goes on too, too, too long. Automakers are pushing the limits of performance at an astounding rate. 650 horsepower for an SUV. 600, I mean, it's just like crazy numbers. 650 pound-feet of torque. Um, they're pushing the performance at an astounding rate, and as fun as it may be for right now, will we ever reach the point where it's just too much power, or will we just go faster and faster until we can't anymore? This is not a new question. This question's been around for a long time, and we keep going faster. Comments? Uh, I'll go first. Um I would say option B, we'll just keep going faster and faster until we can't anymore, and I'm okay with it. I love seeing it, but it's a pyramid game, you know. Mm-hmm. As, you know, as we're, our numbers, you know, our zero sixties are, you know, down in the mid twos or whatever. Now, as you get lower and lower, it gets harder and harder to to gain another tenth. So, I think we're going to keep pushing it, but the law of diminishing returns. It's correct. Called. Yeah, it takes just as much effort to get that last little niche as you've put in forever. Um, most cases, and I get this, you must all get this question a lot. Most cases, you can't drive normally where you appreciate the power. But in a way, it's kind of reassuring knowing that it's there. You know, if you do get into a certain spot, like a, if you have to outrun a tornado or something, you know, outrun a tornado or that spy is trying to hunt you down with a, with a cruise missile. It, it's a boasting factor, don't you think? That's what it's all about, yeah, marketing. It's all, uh, marketing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just ask Dodge. It's all about putting more and more power yeah. into it to say you have more than the other person. Yeah, you know. Get, Greg, you're the youngest person at the table today. Give us yes, the perspective. Give but. us the perspective of your generation. Do you care? Yeah, I, I know mean, you do. But do I care, care, which means there are plenty of other people out there who are my age who also care. I, I almost wonder though, like. Will the performance of cars get to the point where, like, we physically can't drive them safely? That's why we <laughs> like, why would people just yeah. keep running into each other? Like, will it just <laughs> well? Will, will the wall be a literal wall of performance where people just run into and die? Well, you know, I'm that's where automatic that. braking is all about. That's yeah. where putting all-wheel drive as standard is all about to to move the uh, torque around. Well, and also, I mean, call me crazy right away if I'm completely heading off on a tangent here, but oh, good. It seems as though technology is advancing with all this power and stuff, and it seems to me that they're kind of limiting what they're going to give you what the the 
ECU or whatever, something's limiting the amount of power you can have at any given time based on wheel slip mm. and traction. That's They're true, really cutting all the fun off. Like, granted, all the power may be there in a perfect situation, but perfect situations are very few. You've got all between. the automotive nannies. I mean, a lot of cars you can't turn traction control off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you can only get so much regardless of what's on paper. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Not to mention what Nissan was getting to with the GTR, with the GPS, um, you know. You can't even unlock full performance unless the GPS recognizes you're out of track, you know, not on a public road. Yeah. Yeah, Stuff like that. So bragging rights, probably the numbers will keep going up, but it may not have that much effect in the real world. Yeah, and you just might yearn for 300 horsepower of just pure unbridled (laughs) performance. That would be sad. That would be sad. Yeah, I mean, you can make that argument for i mean right now too i mean somebody a lot you could say it's a lot more fun to drive a slow car fast than it is to drive a fast car slow so but you know we're getting 250 to 300 horsepower out of a two liter turbo four now yeah uh, and people still complain yeah. on youtube it's yeah. not fast enough god okay. <laughs> i think it's perfect my wife's uh ecoboost mustang is such a fun car to drive at only take, 280 take all horse that on weight, regular all, gas weight off the front wheels and- yeah handles better okay our viewer question is from clint i'm not sure where clint calls home but uh thank you clint, for running in the internet probably <laughs> okay uh technical question in a way what are the differences between mild hybrids full hybrids and plug-in hybrids and why should i care do you want me to take this you are somebody the who wants okay. i will take this <laughs> Okay, Clint. Uh, First of all, mild hybrids is a term, and these terms have been evolving. Mild hybrid is generally used today. If you watch Motor Week and we say it's mild hybrid, that means it probably has a 48-volt electrical system. You need the extra capacity in order to do things like automatic stop-start efficiently and smoothly uh, and some of the other new electronics that are coming on board. So this is a trend. However, with that, they usually have a larger starter alternator, an electric motor that replaces the starter and the alternator and does all of that so you can automatically stop start, get more power to the system. And some of them are either belt-driven or gear-driven, and they actually do provide you a little bit of oomph when you're starting off from a stop or passing. Did I miss anything there? Yeah, and then I would add very little EV-only driving. Very little. Just like the 20, 30 miles an hour at the most. They do have a battery. An example would be, I think the Wrangler 2-liter is a mild hybrid Ram. Uh, And almost every recent uh, BMW or Audi or Mercedes. There are more than you think. All the German luxury cars now come with mild hybrid systems. But you can even get it on the Ram. It's uh, the Ram pickup truck. It's got a mild hybrid system. Okay, the next level up, full hybrids. Okay, this is there are two types. There's a parallel hybrid and a series hybrid. These are your traditional hybrids. The parallel hybrid is what you see mostly. That's the Toyota Prius and most other hybrids. It means it's got two slash engine motors. It's got an electric motor and a gas motor. They each can power the vehicle by themselves or they can power it together. They're all, both engines are connected to the gearbox. Then there's a series parallel, and the new term for that that's come out now is range extender. And that's vehicles like the i3 and maybe the original Chevrolet Volt, mm-hmm. where the gasoline right. engine is basically a big generator and has little or no uh, connection to the gearing and to the wheels. 
And uh, let's see. Plug-in, Plug-in hybrid is well, basically with, and with, a, Go ahead. ahead. Just interrupt. Uh, yeah. And with that one, you can get speeds of up to 60, some maybe even 80 miles an hour on EV only. Right. But very limited uh, for very limited time. Could but be then, a, it could be as lo- yeah a couple of miles or less yeah but then any time you back off the throttle your gas engine shuts down and you keep everything running with the EV motor yeah. and most people including myself think that that's actually the perfect combination more so than pure EVs or anything else but now you can add the plug-in hybrid which is basically a full hybrid in most cases a parallel hybrid with a larger battery so you get more genuine EV range for instance. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, mm-hmm. which is a plug-in hybrid. What's the uh, distance? Twenty-two miles. Twenty-two miles for a pure EV. Yep. Uh, and a lot of people, that's basically the distance of their commute. To yeah, work I'm that. only eighteen yeah. miles from home. Anything to add there, Brian? Um, PHEVs come in all different sizes. The Volt was like fifty miles yeah. range. Most of most typically, it's in the teens to t- low twenties. Yes, similar to the parallel hybrid that you mentioned or series, mm-hmm. just have pure EV, a lot more pure EV range. Yeah. Yeah. And you can plug them in uh, to charge the battery. You don't have to charge them with the vehicle. And then the question is, why should he care? <laughs> why should anyone care about <laughs> if it? You're, if you want to consume <laughs> like less fuel, you know, it go. is the coming thing. You know, I think everybody recognizes that electrification of cars is inevitable, even if it's not pure EVs. And yeah, and you say your 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 idea of the ideal is the regular plug-in, a uh, regular hybrid. I would say. I would say a plug-in. I would say the plug-in yeah, is yeah. is the I, best I of both worlds. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds in your. Uh, and you can get those sweet parking spots. Yeah. If you can't find the, the place to charge up, you can keep on going. Let's like, say we can't advance any more than plug-in hybrids. Let's forget about full EVs. What's the ideal range for a plug-in hybrid? Is there such a thing? That's a I good thought question. The, I thought the 50 to 60 that the Volt, the original Volt had was ideal. I'm, I find 22 or 25 kind of like, why bother? Why well, bother to go to the expense of putting a big battery in there? Yeah, but you have but to look I'm, at it more of, you know, you're getting that 20 miles every single day when right. you're generally only driving, you know, 40 or 50 miles a day at most. So you're getting – you're only running your engine half the time every day. People so that, that adds up. People that, that had up. the Volt, uh, the Chevrolet Volt, they told me they never ran the gas engine. As a matter of fact – this car had a system so that if you didn't run the gas engine, I don't know, once a month or so, it would start it up just to make sure it ran. Yeah, I yeah. think it kicks on more often than that. Just and and we should admit, uh, Clint, that a lot of this has to do with countries uh, and cities in, in Europe and in Asia where they're on the record as wanting to outlaw internal combustion engines in the city center. So you will need vehicles like these plug-in hybrids just to go to work so or something more like a pure electric. That leads me into a rant and rave. Okay. Good. Perfect segue. This is a future rant because it doesn't even affect me directly. But let's just say if I had a plug-in hybrid, let's just say I had a plug-in EV, not even a hybrid. And I'm trying to plug it in, get those spots that have the chargers, get some juice, and blam. There's like a 22-mile range plug-in hybrid hogging up everyone there. (laughs) 
That yeah. would make me furious. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. talked about this before. Oh, have we? Definitely, you, you've had that actually <laughs> happen to you, right? Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It's just a ma- more infrastructure matter than anything else. I mean, should be term limits on these things. It should like well, you some know, of them have signs. Yeah. You're you're on you're asking. You're talking about a very real problem that there's a lot of discussion. If somebody pulls their car into a charger, be Forget what type it is. Mm-hmm. Do they sit there all day while they work an eight-hour day and hog it? Or does something come out and kick them off or make you come get the car so somebody else can charge right. up? Because yeah. a lot of these EVs will charge up, you know, 220 in three hours or so. Yeah, and some of them have signs. I know I've seen those, like, PB, please be respectful, yeah. you know, and don't leave your vehicle here all day. PBR. Nobody's going to yeah. do that. I haven't please seen those. Well, as with everything, the answer is always robots, Right. So eventually, you know, if, if what we're stuck, you have for lunch, dude. If, if we're if, if we're it's Japanese, if, if we're if we're stuck with only ten chargers at work and there's twenty, I see EV where you're cars, going. Yeah. Then once you're up to eighty percent on your car, a little robot comes over, unplugs, unplugs it, goes to the car that's not being plugged in, all based on need and mm-hmm. and things like that. Or since well, so many of the cars have automatic parking, the the robot unplugs it and something triggers the automatic parking pr- program. Well, can't the robot just plug himself into it and charge the vehicle while he's there? That would be a selfish can't robot. The, right? Can't the parking lot be like a wireless charging pad? And you well, have that, just, uh, yeah, uh, see, yeah. that would be the next thing. Yeah. Which I, we just did a motor news on, which yeah. I think that is the ultimate goal is to have wireless charging so there's no right. plugging in or any just the whole parking lot is one big charging pad and also you that know most people don't a lot of people in the world would especially lives in apartment buildings everywhere they don't have garages they don't have convenient places to plug in so wireless charging i don't know if they've solved the stray cat problem that or the snow removal or the snow removal <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff okay. man thank you ben for People that on their phones on the phone and office. i'd like to thank our audio engineer jim bigwood our podcast creator right here greg carlos and podcast um i'm sorry podcast producer greg and podcast creator out there in the ether bob mixter thank you all sitting at the table brian ben and greg for contributing to our motor week podcast 214 Be sure to watch Motor Week on your local public television station and also on the Motor Trend cable network. If you can't find us, go to MotorWeek.org, pull down at the top, and put in your zip code, and where you can find us will pop up, and it's a pretty good system. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by... TireRack.com and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.